Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are in our second week of the uh, leaning in on the teachings of Jesus about prayer. And our goal in this series is to learn directly from the Lord. Um, prayer, as we know, is a mark of Jesus' earthly ministry, and it's uh, a mark of the early church that we've been studying in the book of Acts. So that's why we're diving into this. But hear this as well. Whether you're a guest or you're a longtime part of this community, we believe in absolute faith that we have been prophetically marked as a people of prayer here at Missio de Wrigleyville. But that's an identity we're still living into. We're still growing into that, but I believe in absolute faith that that is a mark of our community and our life together. So that's part of the reason we wanna learn from Aaron's testimony in our worship and the songs that Steve picks out for us so that we're speaking these things and learning with each other as we grow as people of prayer. So last week, we looked at the posture of prayer. We talked about the fact that you learn from what your mentors, teachers, parents, what they do teaches you. And so we looked at Jesus's posture of prayer in his own prayer life. And so I'm just gonna quickly remind us of a couple key takeaways from last week. Number one, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. This is, this is something that can be learned, that we can seek to learn more about. It's not something you need to either have or don't have. It's, it's a thing to learn, to be formed in. It can be learned and practiced, and we're all learners together. Number two, we really leaned into the fact, and Aaron mentioned this, that God is relational. Prayer is relational. Jesus, as the Son of God, prayed because that was... An, an, absolute mandatory piece of his own heart and life to stay tethered in relationship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God is a relational God. And remember also, Jesus made the path for us to enter into that same relationship already through his uh, death and resurrection and ascension. Jesus made that path open. So we are invited into the same relationship and prayer fosters that. The other thing that I think is amazing, and I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this, I swing on this pendulum all the time, just to be totally honest. Prayer holds both reverence and intimacy in tandem, both at the same time. Sometimes I find myself deep in awe of reverence, and sometimes I'm all Abba Father, so intimate and casual in my conversation with God. I, I I don't stake a claim on where I fall on that pendulum. I think it's beautiful that we get to have both in our prayer life. And then the last thing I really wanna press into is that this is not a should sermon series. This is not a how to do it better, you should be doing this. My tone, I hope, first of all, I don't talk that, that low and weird, that was weird. But my, I, it's invitational, this is an invitation. This isn't guilting. There's, I want no guilt. In the name of Jesus, cover us from any sense of guilt. Protect us, Lord, from that. This is an invitation into relationship. We don't use guilt to motivate. I found uh, Nijay Gupta was quoting uh, Tozer and says this, genuine prayer reminds us, is, or genuine prayer is about passion for God and an obsession with entering his presence. You guys, we get to do that. God delights in our presence and delights in sharing his presence with us. We are summoned to enter. This is an invitation, not some guilting 
how you should do prayer better thing. So please, please hear that. As I mentioned before, I had the privilege of spending last week uh, with my family in northern Michigan. They live on a lake in northern Michigan. Lots of woods, literally bald eagle lives on the side of the lake right there. We see them all the time. It's a beautiful, we saw a snake. I didn't love that part. It's, but we're like way up in northern Michigan. And I had the benefit this past week of practicing prayer in one of my favorite postures, which is just a lot of stillness a lot, a lot of listening. So listen, I want to just, first of all, remind you, I'm using this series too, not only as a pastor, but as a person, as your sister in Christ, to learn and to practice new things. I spent a lot of time personalizing the Lord's Prayer and noticing with myself, what are the places in this prayer that I'm most drawn to today? that I'm pressing into right now. And so I'm doing these practices along with you and really wanting to engage. Um, but in this, in this stillness, in this stillness that I had the joy of being able to soak up this last week, I spent a lot of time in quiet prayer, thinking about this week, because we're gonna dive into the teaching of Jesus when Jesus teaches about prayer, not in by using his own words of prayer, but teaches about the subject of praying. And the big theme is persistence. And I sat there with God and just thought, how, how do we do this without that whole guilting thing that can come across from a pulpit, my music stand pulpit, right? How do we do this well? And as I sat there, literally the scene was happening. I, God uses imagery a lot. For me, I don't know, maybe I'm easily distracted, but it's a joy that this is often how I learn. I was sitting on this Adirondack chair right in front of the water's edge. And as I sat there, this seagull came and shot down into the water, about a foot of water. And he came back out of the water and he had a, like a crawfish in his mouth. It was all squiggly. And I don't know what you're like, but like when I watch Planet Earth or when I see this in real life, my first thought is like, I don't know who I'm rooting for right now. I know circle of life, but like I want to pick a team and I don't know who I'm picking, but it was really fascinating to watch. That little crawdad just squiggled around and got out of the seagull's beak and plunked back in the water. And the seagull got up on the water, rested a second, shot back up and started to fly, swooped around in a big circle, came back, backed up to look at it and dove again. There's not a lot of rocks and stuff. This guy had nowhere to hide. Again, I wasn't sure who to root for. He missed and then he got up and he did it again, but a bigger circle and then he missed again. And then he did a figure eight and I sat there and I was like, God, persistence is exhausting. It's frustrating. It was literally what I was thinking while I was watching. I was like, this is, I'm tired for this bird. You see a bird's energy to get out of the water when they're sitting totally still. I just thought persistence not only is exhausting, but it's frustrating. That guy never got his crawdad in that case. My dad came out with a BB gun and shot behind him to scare him away. That's the honest truth. He may have gotten it if he kept working at it, but dad shot near him. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is persistence is exhausting. And I sat there in my quiet prayer with the Lord and just acknowledged it. When I think of standing up here and being like, yay, everybody, Jesus says, be persistent. I was feeling very lackluster in trying to think about how to approach this subject. I feel weary thinking about it. And I, I was asking God literally, like, what, how do I do this? And the, the thought that came immediately to my mind was, be gentle. And I thought of how we ended last week. Do you remember that? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. That passage goes on to say, I am humble and gentle at heart. Be gentle. And so I'm taking Jesus at his word here and remembering Jesus is gentle 
as Jesus teaches, there must be a gentleness that I'm missing as I'm sitting here thinking, how do we conjure up persistence? So all of that background to say that we're gonna start with the teaching of Jesus from what I think is at first glance a rather strange parable. But the goal today is to not have me insert too many words, but instead to really learn from the words of Jesus. So I'm going to start reading out of uh, Luke chapter 18. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. First of all, I love it when the parables do that and tell us right off the bat what we're supposed to be learning. Do you ever read one of them and say, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be getting out of this right now and have to go to a commentary? This one tells us, here's the point, get ready for the point. Don't give up. Okay. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Isn't that funny? So at first thought, You can read this and say, I'm actually not loving the character who's portraying God in this parable. I'm not getting that. But this is a, a, a tool of rhetoric. This is a known tool of a parable. Some of them do this. The judge is not reflecting God's character. It sets up what's known as a lesser than and to greater than, lesser to greater, sorry, I made that more complicated, a lesser to greater relationship. If this is true of a wicked judge, how much more so will a good God be about justice. Now we see a couple things in this parable right away. First of all, the fact that this is a widow petitioning is important. She's standing there, and we know from other learning that we've talked about before, a a widow is considered a marginalized person. She has no one to stand in and defend her. She has no one if she is the one going before the judge herself. We also see that she's feisty, clearly. But here's what I love. In in this passage when he says um, she's wearing me out, the the original language is more like, um, sometimes it says, so she won't attack me. It's literally so she won't give me a black eye. Like the judge is worried that this feisty little widow is going to handbag him and give him a black eye. Like that kind of feist is in this woman. But so we go on to the parable to see what happens. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? And so what we see here is Jesus is getting not to the persistence of this feisty widow so much as the heart of God. God's heart is for justice. We know that about God. God longs to see justice fulfilled and he longs to hear the cries of his people for justice. He lo- Jesus gets from the persistent widow to the heart of God. God's character is justice. So when we talk about persistence, when Jesus talks about persistence, we're not just saying, hey guys, don't give up. It's more than that. Remember, we talked about it last week. Israel was a praying nation. They considered prayers to be worship, to be relational, to be a part of their relationship with God. The Psalter, the Psalm, the book of Psalms, is quoted all the time in the New Testament, including by Jesus. Jesus quotes the Psalms. Many faithful Jews had the Psalms memorized. 
And they knew them. They would go back to those words. And if you read the Psalms, you see that there are petitions, prayers for things again and again. Don't let my enemies get me. Save me, O Lord, again and again. And so Jewish people, faithful people of God, would have grown up knowing we pray to God persistently for our needs. This would not have been a new concept. But so what Jesus is getting here isn't something new. It's not just about persistence. It's about uh, petitions being a part of our ongoing conversation with God. God cares about justice, about us, about that feisty little widow. God cares about our prayer, even small, whatever it is. They are heard and they matter to God. That's what Jesus gets at. From the persistent widow, I almost wish that the, the, these weren't originally titled by Jesus, right? That little section's called the persistent widow. I wish it was like God is a God of justice. That's what this little parable is about. So we'll go on to another um, teaching of Jesus because that's today's focus is what Jesus teaches about prayer. The part that Steve read a portion of. Now this is in Luke 11, 5 through 13. The same parallel kind of teaching is also found in Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Now really quickly as we're learning about our Bibles, why is it that it's a little bit different but similar in two places? We have to remember that Jesus walked around in different towns and taught a lot. I imagine he taught on prayer to many different groups at many different times. And so there's a little variance on how this teaching is recorded. But thematically, he stuck to this same, um, the same concept, the same teaching, because both Luke and Matthew record it similarly. So look for the similar themes. I'm going to start in Luke 11, verse 5. Um, right before this, by the way, is the Lord's Prayer, which we'll get to again in a couple weeks. So I'm not skipping that important part. We're just going out of order because. So starting in five, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Another one. It's kind of strange, but I love it. Shameless persistence. Let's talk about being the buggy friend in this parable, right? You just know right off. But again, we're not comparing God with the bugged, irritated friend who's in bed. It's that same thing again. If this is what the bugged, irritated friend would do, how much more would our good, loving, gracious God do? Okay, so Jesus goes on in verse 9. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. The goal that Jesus is teaching us here is that this covenant God cares and listens and wants to act and answer prayer. This is something that the covenant people of God would have known through scripture and through their own testimony in community. So people can pray with confidence that God asks 
acts, excuse me, above and beyond um, how, how our parents would uh, respond to us. We'll get on to that. So this, this is the thing I would say, this repetitive ask, seek, knock, keep going, all of this, this action, right? So in Christ's teaching, I told you the E.M. Bounds, if you want to check it out, this is a big book on prayer. E.M. Bounds says this, in Christ's teaching, it's what we're reading, prayer is no sterile, vain performance, not a mere right or form, but a request for an answer, a plea to gain, the seeking of a great good from God. It is a lesson of getting that for which we ask, finding that for which we seek, and entering the door at which we knock. The thing I love about this concept is like, there's action here, right? It, it's keep going, and it's with your whole body. You're, you get yourself into this action of prayer. Jesus goes on in verse 11 and says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So again, it's that argument that goes from lesser to greater, right? So it's saying that the teaching here of Jesus, and this is what I want to get at, at the heart behind this talk about persistence. It's not about getting the gift you asked for. It's about uh, persistence in the character of God. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, the, the, Jesus is getting to the good father, not about whether or not you get the thing you're persisting for. That's the goal that Jesus is getting at in these teachings. It's about the character of God. I would say briefly, because I always want to be sensitive. I think um, the church can really miss sometimes in moments of potential trauma to, to people in our community. I want to acknowledge this parable is assuming a good parent. Some of us have had, not me personally, but like some of you have had uh, absent fathers or fathers who did not give good gifts with gentle, loving hands. I acknowledge that that is grievous and we mourn with you. I want you to know that it is not surprising if you struggle with parables like this or just in general to understand my words that God is a good, good father. And if that's you, I invite you to come into community, come up to us, like receive prayer and let us just weep with you. Because it's really, it is hard to know a good father when your earthly father was not a good God, God or good father who gave you good fish and gave you scorpions instead. So I want to acknowledge that potential wound here. But what Jesus is getting it at is that the, the prayer, the persistence rises out of acknowledging a good father, who it is that God is. It's not about a shopping list of demands that we want to hand over to this God who provides, but we persist in prayer, not because we need to persuade God that our goal is really, really a good idea, although I have tried to do that before. I've literally said, God, I really think this is a good idea. But it's not that we need to persuade God. Instead, it's that we're fostering a relationship that's dependent on his character. And that's really important. All of these teachings of Jesus, when we talk about persistence, are really about God's character, not about always getting what you want. We'll see that next week. Jade is going to teach us on the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. What an example of not getting what you want when Jesus was praying. So it doesn't always mean you get what you want when you practice persistence. It's about the relationship. And it's leaning in on a God who's a God who loves justice, who loves to give good gifts, that's what we're leaning in on. Jesus anchors on God's goodness. So when I was reading about this, I have to admit, I spent a lot of time this last week in my stillness reflecting back on last week. 
And I could feel it palpably in the room because I have the great honor of even knowing some of the stories in this space. And I knew in my heart, I could just feel certain stories, certain people who were of course triggered when we talked about prayer, including unanswered prayer. There are things that are really hard. So in reading Scott McKnight's commentary on Sermon on the Mount on this teaching about persistence, he does a really good job just naming some of the frustrations. And so I wanna take his and add to them, but give a couple of thoughts that we need to acknowledge when we talk about anything like this. First of all, one discouragement. How can God possibly care? There's just too many. If you drove by Lollapalooza, there's just too many people, and that's in one park. There's too many. Why could mine possibly matter? And to that, I say this. It's true. It's beyond our comprehension. You're right. You don't get it, but that's okay. It's not comprehensible to us, but it is no problemo to God. Not at all. And so we just have to trust that because we're finite and we don't understand. It matters, the little prayers, the prayers of the widow, the prayers for the little things, the prayers for the big things, they all matter. It's not a challenge to God so much as it is incomprehensible to humans. God tells us he cares, he's shown us that he cares and he wants us to ask for what we want. It's relationship, that's the first thing can be discouraging and hopefully that dispels it. The another one that comes up is, uh, you know, that verse that says, like, your father already knows what you want. And so you think, well, then why would I even persist in asking for it if God already knows? But remember, God's inviting us to interact. Jesus is calling us to interact in this relationship. This is not a test to check out and see what God knows. This is not talking about the theology of his omnipotence. In other words, his all-knowingness. We don't need to test whether or not God knows. What we need to know is that God knows and wants to know what we want to talk about. That's kind of cool. God wants to know what we would speak to ask for. And that's a beautiful thing. That's why we bother. It's a relationship. God wants to be engaged in that. Uh, Catherine Wright talks about, we've been in Luke and Acts, this book right here. She talks about learning from the spiritual practices of Jesus, including prayer. And so she goes through all of this really quickly that we learn. Remember, we talked both Luke and Acts, both written by the same uh, author, are talking so much about prayer and the prayer life of Jesus, right? She says this, there's no sacrifice and no magic formula that can coerce God to answer prayer. We cannot name what we want from God and claim it. It's not about name it and claim it, everybody. Instead, we must throw ourselves on God's mercy, believing that God will answer us in keeping with God's holy nature and goodness. So what this is, isn't about the receipt of the thing that we're asking for. It's throwing ourselves towards our good, good God, which gets me to the thing that I was carrying this week about triggered people. What about unanswered prayers? Because churchy answers won't cut it. There is true yearning, there is true disappointment, there is true sadness that happens. Scott McKnight says this, sometimes hope lags behind our petitions. Sometimes hope sustains us, but I keep on praying because God is good. Sometimes it's discouraging and I'd be a liar if I didn't admit it. That's the truth, right? It's well said. I'd be a liar if I didn't say that it can be discouraging. But as I sat in the stillness and the silence in the prayer in the lake this week, there was also mayhem, by the way, but there was a lot of stillness and silence too. And I thought about those triggered faces, those triggered hearts, people I love and care for who have had real 
pain with unanswered prayer. I don't have answers, but I know the words of Jesus. Come to me. We can learn together from God who is humble and full of grace. Jesus is. He has love and tenderness, including when prayers aren't answered. When free will of somebody else does not get changed because your prayer's over them. When disease or darkness overtakes that, even which you're praying for, and it's so hard, it's not healed, or justice isn't found this side of heaven, it is discouraging, it's true. But all of that, including the discouragement and the pain, that matters to the heart of God. God is not for those things. God grieves with us when we grieve in the things that are dark and hurtful. We stand together as the people of God so that we can weep with those who weep, we can mourn with those who mourn, and we can celebrate with those who are celebrating. All of this comes better in our life together, including when we aren't all in the same space, we still hold each other's stuff together. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. That's acknowledging something important. Yes, hope deferred makes a heart sick. And so I acknowledge alongside of you that we will hold hope together when your hope is deferred. When you can't find hope, let us hold it with you in persistent prayer. Let us sit with you when you grieve, weep with you when the healing didn't come. We can be in that together. So I honor the realness of some of this conversation being potentially triggering. And that's when I kept going back to those words that I heard was be gentle as Jesus is gentle in this talk about persistence. Because it's not just about keep trusting, keep praying. And I think well-meaning people can look to these verses and give us that advice. And the message that we get as an achieving culture, right, is I must be doing something wrong if the answer hasn't come. This is a good prayer. I want healing for a good person. I must be doing something wrong if I'm not persisting enough. Pray better, pray more. I'm doing something wrong. But this teaching about persistence, again, is really a teaching about the character of God. It's not about getting the gifts. It's about growing closer to the goodness of God in relationship and in conversation. It's not just keep praying and you'll get the desire of your heart. And that can be shaming and we want to avoid that. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching about the goodness and the character of God. And that's what's being formed as we persist. So here's my last lake weekend uh, analogy here. But this was super sweet. So I have this nephew. He's about to be in fifth grade. I asked him to send my, his favorite fishing picture. This is him. He is an epic fisher person, right? He loves it so much. He wakes up in the morning and before he brushes his teeth or eats his cereal, he's out on the dock with a fishing rod in his pajamas. If he comes home from basketball camp sweaty and in his uniform, he goes from the roadside through the lake house straight out onto the dock with his fishing rod before he eats his lunch. If his mom says we have seven minutes till bedtime, his first thought is, yay, I have time to cast a few. And he runs out and fishes. If we all go out on the boat, we've got snacks and tubes and life jackets, and he comes out with his fishing rod. He is a fisher person. As I watched him cast, one million times from different locations the entire week I was there, God struck in me. For him, it's not about the fish. It's about him growing as a fisherman. His heart, his heart as a fisherman is growing so much and it just wants to be there, casting 
again and again. It just wants to be in that space with that rhythm, with that persistence to grow the heart of a fisherman. And yeah, it's great and he loves it when he catches a fish. And it's awesome. We all celebrate it by taking pictures every time he has a whole album. That's great. We celebrate answered prayer. But persistence is about growing the heart of the fisherman. And that's what I was seeing in my nephew this this week. Persistence seems exhausting. But the fruit of persistence isn't just the possibility of the fish. The fruit of persistence is that time spent in prayer is time spent in relationship, drawing you into the heart and the will of God that relationship draws you into God's heart and God's will. Sometimes that will mean answered prayer. You might get the, the prayer, and that's a celebration. We love those stories. But sometimes, as that heart of a fisherman continues to grow, sometimes your desire changes. Sometimes you see God's provision differently. You thought it was gonna be over here, but it was actually something over here that you didn't even think of. Sometimes you grow in gratitude, even if the fish isn't the answer. But you can find your heart growing in gratitude as that relationship is fostered with your good, good God. And sometimes, when the bottom falls out, and we weep, and we mourn, and we grieve, you realize that you have been drawn closer to God in that relationship regardless. And you have that relationship to draw into, to just fall into deeper and deeper. And so I leave you with that that thought on what this persistence is really about. It's not always about the fish, but it's about forming the heart of a person of prayer who has God in relationship in, in a beautiful way. Jesus, we love you. I pray over this space protection from any words, uh, including those which have been spoken in the past over us that would take these passages and make us feel like we are not doing the thing that needs to be done enough or anything like that. I pray protection over shame. I pray protection from um, just condemnation or uh, an achiever mentality. And instead, God, I just, I see a picture of of like the gates being thrown open and the meadowland before us, an invitation to come in and and dance or weep or, or celebrate or shake our fists and like all of it, God, you can take all of it. How amazing are you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we can enter into your gates with whatever is on our lips and just ascribe to you the glory to your name and the cries of our heart. And you listen and you love. You long for more from from us to enter into relationship with you. God, I stand in awe. And I stand thankful before you that you tell us that we can call you Abba, Daddy. We can come to you as a child, comes to a loving parent, and just ask for the things on our heart and you care and you hear and you listen without rush, without agenda. God, I thank you for this truth. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as you continue to be with us and for us in this space, that you continue to form us. Open our hearts to what you have for us individually and collectively as we continue on in worship to you, King Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.